This is Tani Talks Radio, this year where we talk about a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. This year should be for the merit of the safe and healthy return of all the captives, for the refuah slam of all the injured and sick, and for the safety, protection, and success of all the soldiers and all of our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael. We should only know from the Yeshuos for all. We should only know refuos from all. <coughs> excuse me. Have some sort of a cold lingering for a couple of weeks now. But, God willing, hopefully we'll feel better soon. Talking about the idea of how to be involved in helping others' lives. Sometimes we think about saving a life and it's only the physical aspect. We think about, you know, someone helping someone from uh, falling into a pit, God forbid, or, or someone being saved from a stray bullet, God forbid, we should never know from such things, or someone being hit by a car, God forbid. But really, there are many different ways of helping a person. The Gemara tells us that if someone saves <coughs> one person, it's as if they saved an entire world. And if someone helps one person, I always like to take it further, it's almost as if they helped the entire world. A lot of people see situations, and they have this bystander effect, very famous talk about, we mentioned in a different year, the the terrible, terrible case of Kitty Genovese when she was, you know, attacked and killed by someone in view of many, many, many people in Queens, and no one did anything. And then psychology takes the term, the bystander effect, where everyone thought someone else would do something. Unfortunately, no one did anything. In many situations, many people do nothing. Very few stand up. That's not the Jewish way. Judaism, as dictated by Hashem, makes every single one of us culpable to stand up, take a position, and help out those around us. Kol Yisrael says is a very famous phrase, very famous principle that comes up throughout Judaism that comes from the Talmud, telling us that we have to be culpable and liable for all each other, and no time is it more applicable and more relevant and more realistic than now when we're in the <coughs> heat of the war against Hamas here in winter of 2023 after the brutal, brutal, barbaric terrorist attacks in October 7th and the many, many, many that were killed, the many wounded <coughs> and the many captive. The Jewish way is to say, what can we do? How can we be there? How can we stand tall with our brothers and sisters across the world? Judaism makes us realize that we have to stand up, take a position, understand we have to do what we can to help a life, to save a life, to do what we can to be responsible, to challenge and break the bystander effect, especially in cases of war, especially in cases of danger. The Talmud tells us whoever saves one life, it is as if he saves the entire world, famous principle to think of, keep thinking about a key saying to keep coming back to. One person can literally save the world. How many books, L'Havda, 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 focus on that one protagonist fighting against the antagonistic regime, against the whole cruel <coughs> regime in the book, focuses on one person. They don't get it from nowhere. It obviously comes from us. And the idea, way back when the Torah starts with one person, it talks about Adam then moves to Noah, moves to Avram, it focuses on one person at a time, one story at a time, moving over to Yitzchak, then to Yaakov, then Yosef, of course we finished up the Yosef story and we're now in Shemos, and now the story, the, the pivotal shift is to Moshe, and Moshe leads us through all the, through all the years, <coughs> through all the years, the 40 years, and then each element of Tanakh also usually has a pivotal character, usually has one person that takes the reins, the Shoftim, 
they focus on Ehud and Asnil and they focus on uh, on Shimshon and then it moves over to the Nevi'im. We see Shmuel is a huge character, Shaul is a big character, David becomes a huge character. Usually there's one major pivotal character because one person can literally change all of history for good and of course the whole, you know, God forbid we should never know from things for bad as well. You know, Holocaust times and World War II, we should never know from such things many times in history. One person can really change pivotal of history and of course for good we should see it only for good i would extend it to me not only one person can save the world but also one person can change the world if you save a life saves the world i believe the equation equals that you change a life you change the world so it seems much more reachable much more attainable to make a difference in someone's life to make a difference in the world, focusing on one person at a time. One soul who was brought back to the Jewish people, one person reconnected, one person reignited, is one soul saved. It's really the whole world saved. If we could take a small part, a small role in this, we could literally light up and save the whole world. We often get intimidated by thinking about a famous person, a famous people, and famous characters who changed the whole world, but it doesn't have to be that way. We could focus on one person at a time, trying to change for the better even one individual within the world. When you think of people saving the world at a time, you could think right now in our times, a big role model, a big um, hero that I believe, the heroes, of course, in uh, in and around Israel fighting and, and serving to protect the Jewish people, of course, are the soldiers themselves, but also the heroes around the paramedics and the Hatzalah people and Zak, of course, also, which never know for such things. But I feel like a non combative hero, a spiritual hero, if you will, is that of Shai Gracher. I told my wife the other day I'd love for us to meet him. He's doing these amazing, amazing things. That's a wonderful role model of a person literally changing all of Israel, changing people, connecting people, doing beautiful things. Yachan and Truly, all of us together, we will win. You can think of one person changing the world little by little. You think of Hatzalah around the world, United Hatzalah. Think about Eli Beer starting this beautiful movement. I recommend the book. Didn't get to read it yet, but written by one of my role models, Rabbi Seltzer who I connected with over the years, thank God. He wrote this beautiful book, 90 Seconds, about Elibir, the Elibir story. They do wonderful things. Each of these people are heroes as well. They go above and beyond to try to help save every single life in a 90-second response time or, or more give or take, depending on where they are in the country, they could help every single person, any single person in need of assistance. You think of people like that, they run towards dangers. Firefighters, policemen, paramedics, EMTs, hotel members run towards danger, run towards the fire, run towards the difficulty. Think of the cops who run towards shooting, towards danger, when the natural inkling, the natural inclination, the natural instinct usually is to run away. On some level, even much more minute, this is what we as the Jewish people must do day in and day out, helping out anyone who is physically or metaphorically, spiritually or cognitively screaming, quote-unquote, or not, for help in whatever manner they need help. <coughs> the Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us this famous phrase to keep in our minds, anyone who sustains one soul from the Jewish people, the verse ascribes some credit as if he sustained the entire world. The handbook by Rabbi Arya Kaplan, which is pointed out on ish.com, talks about with the exception of three cardinal sins, of course we know the three major ones, one must violate any religious law to save a life. As the Torah says, keep my decrees and laws since a person can truly live only by keeping them. This comes from Sefer Vayekor Vachai Bahem, Velosha Yamus Bahem, usually except for the big three, live by keeping them and not by die by keeping them. Although keeping the Shabbos is considered a foundation of the religion, it may be violated in any manner. manner necessary 
to save a life. In such a case, it is a meritorious deed to violate the Shabbos. One who hesitates is guilty of bloodshed. Where the Shabbos is violated in a case of danger, it must be done by responsible adults and not by children or non-Jews, even where possible. However, if it is possible to avoid violating the Shabbos without causing any delay, permissible to do so. Similarly, a dangerously sick or starving person may eat any forbidden food necessary to preserve his life. In such a case, all is permitted, even pork products and bread on Passover. Although Yom Kippur is our most sacred day of atonement, one whose life may be endangered by fasting is forbidden to do so. In such a case, one who obtains, unobtains atonement, even without fasting. In all cases of sickness or injury, we, we rely upon the opinion of a physician. As soon as he says that there is even a question of danger, religious law may be violated to preserve life, even if it is not certain that a given cure will help. Rabbi Kaplan also points out, and depicts on H.com, in any case, one who neglects to save a life when the opportunity presents itself is violating the commandment. Do not stand still when your neighbor's life is in danger. <coughs> As it points out in Sefer Vayikr, Al-Ta'amod B'dam a very famous phrase, do not stand still when your neighbor's life is in danger. Literally, don't stand while his blood is shed. Therefore, one is obliged to spend any amount of money necessary to save a Jewish life, but the victim must repay it if and when he is able. Nevertheless, one need not endanger limb or life to save another. If several people are in danger, where all cannot be saved, religious scholars given priority. Similarly, one should give precedence to his own parents or other relatives as well as his teachers. In all cases, not involving a life or death situation. If the woman's honor is at stake for food or clothing, she takes precedence over the man, since the shame she could suffer is greater. Just as we are required to save a fellow Jew from danger, we must rescue any non-Jews who worships God as well. The Torah states help him survive whether he's a proselyte or resident alien coming from Sefer Fayekra. We do what we can to help out those around us. Saving one's own life comes first. The Torah tells us, let our brother live alongside you from Vayikra. Vachayachich which implies that one's own life comes first. The very famous example, if two people are in a desert, one has just enough water for himself, he need not share with the other. We should never know from such crazy examples. Similarly, one need not endure physical excessive pain or suffering to save another's life, although it is not required as an act of piety to give one's life to save a community or a great religious leader. There is nothing more precious and irreplaceable than life in the eyes of God. Therefore, one who saves that single life is counted as if he saved <coughs> the entire world. So do what you can to save another soul. Use your money, use your resources, use your talents, use the labor of your hands to effect help, change, and saving. Dr. Miller points out on H.com, in 2019, on a Sunday, in the, the end of March, there was a man and his wife running two hours late for an event on that day. Tully Abraham and his wife Sarah were running at least two hours late for this event on a late day in March in 2019, as Tully, a 30-year-old kosher caterer, sped along the Verrazano Narrow Bridge on his way into Brooklyn for the event, a series of coincidences, Hashkacha, put him in the right place at the right time to save a man's life. There's so many things that happen in the space of a few minutes, he explained in an Asia interview. Without any one of those components, he wouldn't have been successful. It was raining hard, traffic was bad, the left lane that Tully was taking to the upper level of the bridge was closed, and he was forced to move over several lanes to the right. That left Tully and Sarah in the lane closest to the edge of the bridge, behind a car that suddenly stopped. The driver put on his hazards and exited his car. If I was in the left lane, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. 
Tully recalls, saying that at first it seemed the driver was checking something wrong with his car. But instead of going back into his car, the driver, an elderly man of about 79, according to later news reports, walked over to the railing at the edge of the bridge. As Tully watched, the man stepped over the railing, balanced on the far side at the very edge of the bridge, and prepared to jump into the icy waters far below. Without stopping to think, Tully raced out of his own car to the edge and grabbed the man's jacket. The man shouted at Tully that he should let him go, but Tully hung on with all his might. As he concentrated on holding on to the man and prevented him from ending his life, Tully wondered about his own safety. It was raining. It was slippery. He hoped he wouldn't slip and fall off the bridge with the man, God forbid. As precious moments ticked by and Tully struggled with the man, countless people drove by. Driving, zooming, zooming by, not noticing anything, not stopping any time, anything for anyone. Countless people drove by in their cars, ignoring the scene, choosing not to help. A classic example of the bystander effect. Eventually, eventually, a state trooper drove by and saw the scene. He too raced out of his car and grabbed the man's clothes together. He until he tried to get a secure grip on the man and bring him back inside the railing. The railing was about chest high, so it's almost impossible to pull anybody up. After a few minutes, another bystander finally came to help, as well as emergency personnel. Together, the group of rescuers, imagine how many people were needed for this 79-year-old man. Together, the group of rescuers managed to drag the man back inside the railing, and then an ambulance took him to the hospital. Fertility, the encounter profoundly changed the way he looked at the world. For days afterwards, he explains he was still shaking. People called him a hero, but he doesn't think of himself that way. I did what anybody would have done, Tully explains. Although, as was depicted, many people drove by and actually did absolutely nothing. The bystander effect. He didn't ask for the publicity and accolades he received. I want to move on. I want to continue being me without attention, he mentioned. He learned that it doesn't matter where you are, what your background is, everyone should try and make a difference, Tully said. He also cautioned that no matter how people react, they should recognize that they did the best they felt they could. People second-guess their actions and beat themselves up afterwards, he notes. Instead, we should be kinder to ourselves and acknowledge that in a moment of emergency, it's not always easy to know what to do. At the end of the day, you do your best. Pointing to the series of coincidences, Hashgachas, of Hashem that put him in the right place at the right time totally feels that he was placed in that situation on that bridge for the reason. Judaism teaches there is no such thing as a coincidence. Everything that happens is part of the larger plan and has a purpose. In Hebrew, this is known as Hashkacha Pratis, divine providence, recognizing that a series of seemingly random twists of fate can lead us to the very purpose we are meant to fulfill in our lives. When he considers all the different components of that day on the bridge, the fact that he was forced into the right lane, was running late, wound up behind the suicidal driver, that he was helped by passerby just as he needed it, he somehow found the strength to hold on to the man without slipping or losing his grip, till he feels he was part of a larger plan that day. He strongly feels he witnessed the hand of God, the hand of Hashem, putting him in the exact position necessary to do what he could to help a fellow human being and save his life. Realize you too, on some small level, may be put at a certain place at a certain time by Hashem to help out those around you in a myriad of small and large ways. 
And one of Braverman points out on Ish.com, there's a video featuring the former chief rabbi of England, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Zetzal, Olava Shalom. He told the story of his near drowning in Italy on his honeymoon, of his rescue by an anonymous bystander, and of the resulting greater gratitude he had every day of his life since that time. When he woke up to a new day, he appreciated the gift of life, an important and beautiful lesson, nothing like a personal near-death situation to help it at home, which never from such things. Again, the Talmud teaches that if you save one life, <coughs> you save an entire world. Little did that kind Italian civilian know what he was doing. Little did he understand the ramifications of his act. Although in our limited tangible world his name is lost to us, it may be that Rabbi Sachs at Saul never knew who he was or had a chance to think of him in some chaos, that Italian man had a massive impact on British Jewry and in fact on international Jewry and the whole world at large. All the kind all the countless speeches that Rabbi Sachs gave, all the books he wrote, all the Torah thoughts he published can be credited to the quick-thinking Italian beachgoer. He may not even remember the incident. It was a long time ago, and his day probably continued as normal. He was never feted, never applauded, didn't win any medals, and doesn't know the name of the one he saved. But the act of kindness impacted an entire world. Wow. That really gives pause. We engage in so many small acts every day, so many ordinary moments. For sure, rescuing someone from near drowning isn't exactly ordinary, but we're called upon to do a lot of seemingly trivial acts of kindness for others, acts soon forgotten, some for people whose name we will never know, or will quickly forget as the rest of life's demands pull on us. But who knows what the impact of those acts can be? Who knows whose life was changed? Who knows what they were able to contribute to the world because of a kindness we showed them? Who knows what we were able to contribute to the world because of the way we grew from the kindness we showed them? In Pirkei Avos, in the Ethics of the Fathers, currently in Season 7, working our way slowly, week by week, once a week, listen to us on the TTPA, we talk about in Pirkei Avos how we are admonished not to distinguish between minor and major mitzvahs, because we don't really know how to judge or categorize them. That's really the Almighty's department, really Hashem's department. What we think of as a big act of kindness may not have the intended impact, while a small act may have an ongoing ripple effect. If we save a fellow human being, either physically or spiritually, we save an entire world. We save all their descendants. We save their ability to affect this world. But we don't really know how that will be manifest. Neither did this young Italian. But we, the Jewish people today, can see what a difference he made. And when he arrives in the world of souls, he will get a royal welcome. He will have a reserve seat and will discover that what seemed like a minor act at the time was actually something that changed the world. All of our actions have ripple effects and butterfly effects. Even small effects, small acts, can have major ramifications and effects on other people. You should never underestimate how powerful our deeds can be and can have on the world at large. Adam Ross points out on Aish from 2019, Mendel Gordon, an American lone soldier in the Israel Defense Forces, the IDF, Tzahal, completed his service as a paratrooper and met the girl of his dreams only to learn just weeks after they were engaged that he had the Mahala, the terrible disease which never from such things. Doctors in Israel advised he should seek emergency surgery in the USA to the tune of $90,000, a sum way beyond his family means. We shall never know from such things. What happened next was remarkable. In an exclusive interview with Aish, Gordon points out and describes the incredible story of friendship that saw the soldiers in his army unit stand by their brother in arms and raise every single dollar needed to pay for the complicated surgery that saved his life. 
Originally from Brooklyn, at 19 years old, Mendel Gordon signed up to serve in the IDF in 2015 after falling in love with the land of Israel during a year of yeshiva study. After convincing his parents of his plan to join a combat unit and passing a tough physical trial, he enlisted in the paratroopers' brigade, where he saw two and a half years of active duty in Hebron and along the Gaza border, preventing attacks into Israeli territory. Despite the cultural and language differences he faced, being a lone soldier from another country, Mendel says the friendships he made in the army ran deep. It's through what you go through together day in and day out that friendships develop. You have to literally watch each other's backs, he said. Constantly protecting each other, looking out for each other creates a powerful feeling of mutual responsibility. In October 2017, feeling energized and excited about life, having just been discharged from his army service, he began dating Ruhama Toker, the 19-year-old sister of a friend from his yeshiva days, and quickly realized he had found the girl he wanted to marry. He proposed she accepted life was dreamy until his life took an unforeseen change of course. While spending Shabbos at his fiancée's home, Mendel noticed three small bumps on his neck. We should have such things. I didn't feel unwell at all, he said, but he got things checked out following a biopsy and multiple blood tests just before Pesach on April 2018. He learned the devastating news that an aggressive form of Hodgkin's lymphoma had spread throughout his body. We shall never know from such things. The couple took the advice of their family and rabbis and postponed their wedding plans when doctors backtracked on initial optimism that they could treat his condition after struggling to locate the origin of the disease. As a, as a heavy question mark loomed over their future, Mendel was referred to Sloan Kettering in New York where more similar cases had been treated. After the diagnosis was confirmed, he updated his family and made calls to his army friends to let them know what was going on. After the word got out, Mendel's phone received a flurry of support as messages. Many from the soldiers in his unit were with you, said one. We got your back, read another. Without any hesitation, his fiancée, Rahama, insisted she would accompany him to New York for his treatment, although at the time there was no idea how long it would take or whether it would be successful. Once in America, the Gordon family learned Mendel's treatment would cost around $90,000, and together with family and friends, they got to work to raise the money. My parents didn't have the money. I had no way to fund what was needed, he explained. There were so many medical bills to pay. Initially, they held a bracha blessing party, which doubled as an engagement party in which some 300 friends and family arrived with donations and good wishes, with most of Mendel's friends and family meeting his fiancée for the first time. We raised a good amount, but it was nowhere near what was necessary, and time was not on our side, he says. It was through a Facebook post about this event that Mendel's army friends first learned he needed to raise a large, huge sum of money. Recalling his army service, Mendel says his company commander, Roey Friedberg, was someone he'd go to for advice, but not someone he felt he had an especially close relationship with. I always liked him, don't get me wrong, but I didn't have more of a connection with him than any of the other soldiers. <coughs> what happened next showed him that the bonds of friendship went far deeper than he could have thought. Roey Friedberg immediately mobilized the 150 soldiers under his command, detailing Gordon's situation, explaining that although he was now on the other side of the world, Mendel needed their help now, and they would do whatever it took to help him. Issuing an, un issuing an unusual order, the soldiers were commanded to take out their phones and share a high-impact post to social media with a link to a fundraising site Friedberg had created. They literally went to war for me, Mendel said. But Freeberg wasn't done. Since the unit needed extra firepower, he decided they would all reach out to Omer Adam, one of Israel's most popular singers, and implore him to add his weight to their campaign. We will all send him a message at 1 p.m. today, he told the paratroopers, and we'll resend him this message every day this time until he shares our post to his tens of thousands of fans. 
Omar Adan did get the message and did share the post, and the unit turned their attention to other Israeli singers and performers along with other initiatives, concluding with a sponsored 5K M run with a beer party, party at the finishing line. As the campaign grew in momentum, eventually involving over 5,000 people, Mandel and his family looked on in wonder from New York, and the full amount was raised. The spirit of friendship spearheaded by his company commander left his family speechless. I think then my parents started to understand more what I was <coughs> excuse me, doing in Israel in the first place, why I was drawn to want to be there all of that time. I was shocked, beyond shocked at how much everyone helped, said Mendel's mother, Mindy. It was beyond amazing. <coughs> at Sloan Kettering, Mendel reacted well to the treatment, underwent the complex surgery which removed the disease from throughout his body. Doctors closely monitored him, after the surgery and eventually gave him the all-clear, Baruch Hashem. Mendel attributes his recovery to Hashem and to the collective effort from his family and especially from the unit. Hundreds of people had joined a Talim group for his recovery. As I realized how many people really cared, really cared, what the soldiers in my unit were doing for me, how many people were thinking about me, it made me feel like there was an extra force out there giving an extra push fighting for me. All the while, his fiancée was there by his side in the weeks following the surgery, visiting and caring for him every day. The couple finally went back to Israel on November 25th to get plans back on track for the wedding. At the airport, they were met by over 30 soldiers and commanders from his unit. Just an amazing feeling being a part of something so strong, Mendel said. The couple had to rethink their wedding plans for this time for positive reasons with hundreds of people who had supported and wanting to take part in the celebrations. Not wanting to exclude anyone, they left an open invitation to join for the dancing with around 500 guests indicating that they would come. Finding a wedding hall that would suit them and that they could afford also involved an incredible turn of events which began the night after his surgery when he received a text from a soldier in his army unit whose father owned a large hall in Jerusalem and wanted to offer it to the couple for free. Later, when they understood how many people wanted to attend, Ruhama made inquiries from New York and found a perfect place in Israel. When she explained why she and her fiancé couldn't come and see the place in person, yet the owner replied that his son was serving in her fiancé's unit and he already offered them the venue for free. And they were speechless. We couldn't believe it. The feeling of being looked on after through all of this was immense. We never knew what was happening and what was happening in our lives, but we feel such a hand of God's protection throughout. At his wedding, he had an opportunity to say some words to his friends who had done so much for him. There are things that they are very hard to express in words. I told them they were my friends for life and how much they had helped me. This is the wedding I didn't know would ever happen. Years later, the after the fact, the couple are living in Israel with the drama of the past behind them, working to make the world a brighter place. He now works at a startup, or at the time of the article, he worked at a startup company in Jerusalem, committing to realizing his dreams and changing the world for the better. The question becomes really, Mika Amcha Yisrael, who does so much but for the Jewish people? How amazing the Jewish nation is, how amazing it can be and it should be to help out those around us, <coughs> to take out care of those around us, and to do for those around us. Of course, we can see many, many examples here in fall and winter 2023. Beautiful things, wonderful things. Nothing like this nation in the entire world. Professor Cohen points out on H.com, one doesn't have to be crazy to be an Israeli, but it sure helps, goes the famous saying. It is usually heard when talking about Zionism, but could equally apply to Israeliness. The Israeli search and rescue teams and the countries above and beyond relief efforts and disaster zones are among the most classic examples of Israel's quote-unquote craziness. Starvation in Biafra, tsunami in Thailand, earthquake in Japan, floods in the U.S., volcanic eruptions and avalanches, you can rest assured that the Israeli trekkers and emissaries of Chabad will be there, and Israeli humanitarians will be dispatched there in a timely manner if they haven't arrived there already. 
In Jewish tradition, saving a life, bikuach nefesh, trumps almost everything else. Monetary costs play no role. That is why the circumstances surrounding a tragedy are immaterial, as, it's as is its cause. What matters is, in such cases are the lives at stake, even if only one person is in peril. Because that phrase we come back to, whoever saves a life, it is considered as if he saved an entire world. The sense of solidarity and collective responsibility go beyond rhetoric, prayers, and the recitation of Tehillim for the well-being of the victims. It involves concrete and immediate <coughs> steps to provide relief and save as many lives as possible. This is where the rubber meets the road. Yet such an undertaking costs a lot. It's often subject to heavy criticism because of the manpower and resources it requires and the risk it entails because of the conditions on the ground. Critics say it would be wiser to turn attention to domestic woes before going overseas. They'd like to see most of the resources expounded at home for the sake of the citizens who live in Israel. While this approach may have had some merit to it and can make an economic sense, it runs against the grain of Jewish and Israeli tradition. Saving lives costs a lot. But the state of Israel, the Jewish people have always known this, knowing full well that the value of life is priceless. Money comes and money goes, but human life, any human, has no substitute. <coughs> yes, being economical is a virtue, but we must not let that concern us when it comes to the values of others. Menucha Khan 11 points out a fascinating story from H.com. Nadav ben Yehuda, age 24, law student from Rehovot, loves mountain climbing. His quest was to be the youngest Israeli climber to, pe to reach the peak of Mount Everest. To reach the peak of Mount Everest. 200 climbers were attempting to scale the summit of the 29,000-plus-foot mountain in a bitter cold week in May. Still, all was going well for ben Yehuda, who was tantalizingly within reach of the world's highest peak. He continued slogging upward a Sherpa guide behind him until he suddenly came to a spot where he stopped just 250 meters away from the summit. He stumbled across the unconscious body of a Turkish climber, Aiden Irmak, lying in the snow. Nadav had to make an excruciating decision. He could continue to climb and reach the mountain peak, or he could try to save Irmak's life. But when Nadav saw Aiden straighten on the mountain, he was not thinking of politics. He saw a fellow human being who was about to die. Nadav says he was unconscious. He had no gloves, no oxygen, no crampons, no cover. He was waiting for the end. I was certain I could have made it to the summit. But if I had continued climbing, there's no question that Irak would have died. Other climbers just passed by him and didn't lift a finger. But I had no second thoughts. I knew I had to save him. By center effect again, in effect, save for the one Jew who stood up to the task. Nadav tied Irak to his harness and began the descent, a nine-hour journey to the nearest base. Saving Irak was probably even more difficult than trying to reach the summit. Saving a life is a greater priority than being the youngest Israeli to scale Everest, Nadav said. You never leave a friend in the field. Not only saving a life, but also a Kiddush Hashem. Dr. Miller points out in 2019 from age.com, also a fascinating story. Hungry customers waiting to order at Falafel Harel in the Israeli coastal city of Batyam might not have realized just how special the man behind the counter is. Tal Kufrasin, a married father of five, recently opened the Falafel shop in August in 2019. When he was not behind the counter filling orders, this may be a very famous story to you, he's also a volunteer with United Hatzalah, Israel's cutting-edge volunteer emergical medical service organization. United Hatzalah is a group of over 5,000, now much more, ordinary Israelis who volunteered to undergo emergency training to be on call, ready to respond to medical emergencies anywhere in the country, serving everyone regardless of race, religion, or national origin. Equipped with GPS technology and specifically outfitted 
very cool bicycles. Volunteers have an average response time of just three minutes. Nationwide, in Israeli cities and metropolitan areas, they have an average response time of just 90 seconds, a minute and a half, hence the name of Rabbi Seltzer's book, 90 Seconds. On November 15, 2019, Tal Kofusin received a call about a nearby accident set off to help. Tragically, while he was responding, he himself was hit by a car, which in from Sashing was gravely injured, with a punctured lung, broken ribs, and fractures, too. Elements of his body, Tal underwent emergency surgery and faced a lengthy recovery. Once it was clear Tal was out of danger, his fellow televolunteers wanted to help. He'd only recently opened his falafel place, Falafel Harrell, in the store was the only means of support for Tal's young family. Emergency services already saved Tal's life. Now Tal has stepped in to save his business, his livelihood as well. Atal volunteers signed up to work behind the counter at Falafel Harrell, keeping it open and helping his family. Within days, volunteers had signed up for two months' worth of shifts. One Atal volunteer who owns a falafel shop in the Israeli city of Cholon even closed his own store for a day so he could keep Tal's shop open. Amazing. Reminds me of the story of the fish store in Brooklyn that went up in flames and a competitor took refuge in his competition in his own shop, letting him sell out of his own shop. Again, Mika Amchayisrael, even Eli Beer, the founder of United Atzala, took a shift as well. As word spread through Israel about the Atzala volunteers manning the store, Israelis flocked to Falafel Haral for a meal. Some customers were ordering Falafel meals to be delivered to soldiers and first responders. Atzala set up an ordering form for meals to be donated. In that way, each meal cost, at that time, 20 shekels, about 575 About that time, within hours of going live, one donor bought a 1,000 meals to be distributed to soldiers. The international chairman of United Satsala at the time, Mark Gerson, opened a campaign that matched the first 2,000 meals ordered from the shop to be sent to soldiers and first responders and funding another 2,000 meals as well. As he worked behind the counter dishing a falafel and pizza sandwiches, <laughs> excuse me, Ellie Beer explained, we have the opportunity to raise income for Tal and his family and help our hungry soldiers and first responders at the same time. This is an amazing opportunity for giving. At the time, he had faced a lengthy recuperation, but he was cheered on by the help and love that his predicament had sparked. Thank you to all my friends and all my fellow responders. We help each other on a daily basis to go out and save lives. Now they are banding together to save the business. So grateful to each and every one of the organization as a whole. And as thousands of soldiers and first responders throughout Israel received unexpected gifts of tasty falafel meals, that feeling of gratitude was spread across Israel as well. Hatzalah responds, and for that solid people, we also should always respond. We are responsible for one another, as the Gemara explains, in whatever way we can, doing whatever can, we must save and help those around us. What's fascinating is the, the economy, the difference that is seen oftentimes, unfortunately, in secular society that's seen in non-religious, non-Jewish society. Listen to this story from Serial Chavad Riegler on Ish.com. Dr. Arnold Relman, the former editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine, professor emeritus at Harvard, and one of the world's most venerated physicians, fell down the stairs and broke his neck one year on June 27th. He was rushed to Mass Gen, which is Massachusetts General Hospital, where he immediately told them who he was. As he recounted in, the, in, in an issue of the New York Review of Books, within a few minutes it seemed the cubicle filled with physicians, nurses, and other members of the staff. They did many things to save his life. After 11 days in the ICU, by the way, each day in the unit is very, very expensive. An ordinary average Joe for very, very good insurance, for example, if you work for the city, for example, 150 for an ER visit, 300 if you're admitted a day, two, three days. Imagine 11 days in the ICU. 
what the bill would be. After 11 days in the ICU, Dr. Roman was transferred to the Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital, where he continued his recovery for another month. The total cost of his medical care, almost all of which, which was covered by his insurance through Howard's faculty plan, came to $478,000. The question is, how old was Dr. Roman? One more detail, not yet explained. When he broke his neck, Dr. Arnold Remen was 90 years old. Now the question becomes, and this is not my question, this is from the article, if Joe Schmo, a 90-year-old retired plumber, had arrived at the ER of Mass Gen after having broken his neck, one wonders what kind of care he would have received. Again, this is not Torah philosophy, we're talking a general case in general society. Would the medical staff have mobilized so aggressively to try to save his life. When his heart stopped, would they have resuscitated him three times? Or given his age and the possibility that his broken neck might leave him much worse off, would they have done something else? Would the cardiologists have dropped everything? The cardiologists have dropped everything and rushed to the ER to supervise his treatment. Unfortunately, let's face it, our society, secular society, considers some lives more valuable than others. The value we attribute to a particular life reveals the values we ourselves live by. In the simplest terms, the ultimate value of Western society is productivity. People's lives are considered valuable as long as they are producing, regardless of what they are producing, in terms of its benefit to society. He could be the plant manager of a factory that produces 42 shades of paint. She could be an academia researching the customs of the Aztecs. As long as a person produces is beneficial to society his or her life is valuable the value of a person's productivity has a help. the value of a person's productivity has a shelf life no one would hesitate to resuscitate a 69 year old retiree who broke his neck for his productive life is still quote unquote fresh but 15 years later we already hear terms not jewish terms such as a burden to society a person in a coma is the ultimate non-producer this explains the growing consensus we should never know from such things, very, very difficult things to hear about, that comatose patients should not be fed so they could be allowed to die, God forbid. Of course, the exception is important, people, those who have attained prominence in some field, such as Dr. Arnold Relman. This instinctive response of mass gen to do everything possible to save the life of this 90-year-old patient was based on his considerable accomplishments of the past, not on the expectation that he would continue to produce. The Jewish view on the value of life, of course, is drastically different. According to Judaism, a soul descends into this world and dons a physical body in order to accomplish a unique mission and to effect a particular tikkun, rectification. One's mission and one's tikkun are as individuals one's fingerprint. And just as different fingerprints cannot be rated hierarchically by standards of beauty, so human beings cannot be judged hierarchically or, prepare, or compared. Each person is climbing his or her own spiritual ladder. And since everyone starts on a different level, it not, matters not whether one is 20 or 200 meters high, but only how many rungs one has scaled. The author has always considered the most Jewish place in Israel not to be the Kotel, the Western Wall, but alien hospital for severely handicapped children and adults, those with major physical, cognitive, and developmental disabilities. Most of the patients there can barely move a single limb are incontinent and cannot talk, yet huge resources are expended for their care and a large devoted staff works around the clock to lovingly tend to these patients. These are the people whom the Germans would have killed, Imach Shemam, considering them worthless. The Jewish view is adamant. Every human life is valuable, even in the most disabled body. The soul can still accomplish its work. As long as the soul is in the body, which is the very definition of life, a human being can be effecting his or her rectification. 
Ninety-year-old people may not be able to do productive work, quote-unquote, according to society, but they can grow in the trait of gratitude as they accept the services that others render them. They can grow in the trait of humility as they suffer the inevitable physical and mental limitations of aging. This inner work is not an epilogue to life. It is the very purpose of life. Now, no matter how much a person has accomplished when it comes to inner growth, the sky, or maybe rather the heaven, is the limit. We must realize Every person has value as long as the soul burns within them, whether they are five minutes older or 105 years old. We shall be Zohar to live 120. We should do whatever we can to save and help those around us on a daily basis, whether it be in a physical manner or a spiritual manner, in a literal way or in a figurative way, whether right in front of you or in front of you metaphorically. These are all, and there are all many ways that we can lend a hand to try to help and save those around us. Whoever saves a person saves the world. Go out. Save who you can in any way you can, using whatever talents you have to make the world better person by person. We can literally be involved in saving and helping the entire world in such a way. We don't have to be a Tully, we don't have to be the person who saved Rabbi Sachs, but we can do what we can to help other people, and in other words, to help, to to not delay, to do what we can to get in other people's lives don't buy don't stand by idly don't participate in the bystander effect make sure to do the opposite be that person that helps be that person that uplifts be that person that changes those around you and we could all make the world a better place and maybe if we are finally zocha and each person does what they can to save the next person to help the next person maybe we could finally be zocha that mashiach comes speedily in our days and may that day in fact be today. This has been Tani Talks Radio, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. And I'm your host.